we're live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Crypto Gaming Institute podcast. I'm your host Ben, and today we have Mr. Grant, the Executive Director of Wagyu and Undead Blocks. What up? What up? Thanks, thanks, Ben, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I know we've been trying to set this one up for a while, so uh, yeah, excited to be here and happy to answer any questions you might have. Absolutely. Now, before we dive in, it's time to level up. Ladies and gentlemen, now that we've gotten absolutely hyped the fuck up, it's time to dive in. Grant, you're the absolute man. You've been killing it in the space, building, doing some fun things. But I'm curious to know, what is your origin story? How did you get here? What is your story? If you hear that, that's my golden retriever. She absolutely loved your new intro. She's currently uh, on my shoulder here looking for love. But uh, I, I, have a, I think I would say a very unique, probably one of the most unique entry stories into web three um i am not an influencer i'm not a hype man i am not a ponzi expert i'm pretty much just your average american guy um i went to school for math i was really into cryptography uh i went to college for university of buffalo i went majored in data science uh i was an actuary in a previous life if you guys know what that is they basically uh use models to price insurance risk and uh, then I transferred. I was at Goldman Sachs. I was there for about three years doing more data analytics, making rich people richer. And uh, eventually that led me into FP&A, uh, just you know, managing a P&L for two large banks in the United States. One was a Korean bank, Bank of Hope. And then I eventually moved to M&T Bank. I wanted to move closer to uh, Western New York, which is where I'm from. But I saw what was going on with Axie. You know, and I've been into crypto for a long time. Uh, and I saw what was going on with Axie and I figured you know, if I had the capital, I had the idea of, you know, merging Mario Kart with Call of Duty Zombies, making it fun, making it fresh, but also building a stone cold tokenomic structure that will never fail. And that's really what we pride ourselves with at Wagyu is just, um, you know, launching fun games. We're going to be launching more games besides on Deadblocks. We're going to be moving into mobile, uh, but we're also going to be uh, having uh, lots of fun. And I think that's really the key, right, is so many of these gamers they become disenfranchised with the traditional gaming model which you know i used to call the gaming bravo and then, uh the other admins in the group got mad at me but it, it's true it's you know you pay you pay you pay and you get fucked and you don't actually own your assets you continue you, you make the wheel go for fun and that's not really how i see the world i really want to use web3 gaming as a way to empower players to own their assets but also save their progress look at call of duty warzone one to warzone two you don't get to save anything. You put all that time, effort, sweat, equity, and money into the game, and now you don't own those assets. So that is what we're here to do, empower players to own their assets and uh, allow them to have fun at the same time. Just build a fun game. Absolutely love it. Yeah, that that is really interesting how you found yourself um, in what feels like a very traditional uh, start now on the bleeding edge of the metaverse and crypto gaming technology. It's really interesting how you got there. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I mean, I could go on for, I was just like, you know, we didn't, none of us, if you look at the admins in on Wagyu, right? None of us were at Epic or Riot or Treyarch. And I think that's such a refresher, right? You don't need to be a successful web two game developer to come into the space because the ones that are really successful, they're not leaving those cushy shops. Uh, all of us were from fortune 100 level companies. We've all been gamers our entire lives. And it's about time somebody actually puts, you know, the gamer first, it's just not happening. Like all these other game studios, they just put profit before everything else. If anyone disagrees with me, please let me know. But I think um, it, that's pretty much what's going on is they're trying to monetize their players. And from our perspective, we knew the game. So that's why we acquired a gaming studio. That's why we launched Wagyu as a studio. We have 30 full-time developers working for us, and that's huge. So we can layer on the blockchain technology, the tokenomics, but let them do what they do best. And that's just create fun games. I love it. So... I'm fascinated by this idea of the mix of, I think you said Mario Kart and zombies, right? That's correct. Those are, those are two that, at face value, it's hard to imagine those together, 
but y'all managed to do that in a really interesting way. Maybe you could break down for us. Uh, let's do a deep dive into the actual game itself. Like, let's break sure. down the the core game loop, the different game mechanics, um, all, all of it. Let's dive all into it. So, what? How I'll start this is by saying we needed to provide a way to differentiate ourselves from Call of Duty Zombies. Look at all these other Web3 games. And they're great. Like, they're pushing the boundary of what we know to exist in Web3 gaming. But, like, let's be honest. Alluvium looks like Pokemon Stadium. Blankos looks like Fall Guys. Undead Blocks looks like Call of Duty Zombies. I could go on. Um, you know, some of these are Diablo and Big Time. You see a lot of resemblance there. And so how do you attract a Web2 gamer? You don't give them a knockoff of what they're already playing. You know, you provide something fun and unique where you're combining the best of both worlds from two of the most popular games of all time. You know, 30 million players at Call of Duty Zombies peak. I'm not even going to try to estimate how many people have played Mario Kart in the world. So how essentially this is going to work is it's going to be like Call of Duty Zombies. You're going to kill zombies. You're going to survive waves, but you're also going to have time challenges. But you're going to be able to attack each other. So if you're playing free for all, uh, you're going to, if uh, you kill a zombie, a, a blood box might appear and then you, you're going to get a power up and then you can designate that to somebody. You could take away someone's ammo, for example, you know, freeze people. There's lots of different power ups we're going to have and power downs, but having that randomness factor where, okay, this game really isn't tailored for the high end, the elite player, those Valorant, PUBG, X Knight, Fortnite pros, but you know, they can still do well in our game, but we wanted to provide something where there's no barrier to entry to play. That's why it's email and password only to come in and play. And we wanted no barrier to entry in terms of skill level. There are just millions of people in the world out there that can't compete with the pros. They're never going to be able to make money playing a video game unless if they're, you know, a funny content creator. And this game is for them where they're going to be able to come in and grind for those loot boxes if they want. And if they have, if they have a weapon NFT, you know, they're going to have access to our daily earnings section, but it's all random, right? We don't want people to feel entitled. That's where I think Axie really went wrong is, you know, they basically said, okay, if you do X, Y, Z, you're going to earn SLP. And so people were able to gamify it. You're not going to be able to gamify our game. I mean, you can play it a lot. If you're playing for eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a session, I have done my job. Uh, but we never want to get to the point where people just point and click and feel like they're guaranteed an asset because at that point it's just decentralized yield farming. And so that, that's at least how I see it. Yeah, I think a, a couple of different interesting things you said. One being the reduction of barrier to entry in the form of you just need a username and password. I didn't hear anywhere about the fact that you have to have a wallet hooked up in order to play. Um, maybe you could talk about that design decision and where you think, like, like how did you arrive at that decision? Because I agree with that completely. I'm just curious as to how you got to that. Well, it's the traditional upsell model. If you let people play with an email and a password, you bring them into our ecosystem, and then we're betting that our game's going to be fun enough to keep them. Because if it's not, then we're done anyway. So by allowing people just to make accounts without having to have them buy anything or even connect a crypto wallet, what that does is it, it provides no barrier to entry. Like, how are you going to tell a 23-year-old Fortnite player, hey, by the way, I need you to buy this weapon NFT, and you have to go to Uniswap and... And you got to go buy this token and you got to go stake it. And then you get, they're going to look at you and say, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I can play <laughs> Fortnite is free on console. Like, it's hard enough to get high-end PC players to play, you know, without having a steam of blockchain gaming, which, you know, there are a couple that are coming that I'm really excited about. But it's hard enough to bring these people in. Now you have to tell them, okay, you finally got to the point where you think the game's cool. Now you want to download it. And all of a sudden, you're going to have to pay money and connect a wallet. Like, I think we all in this industry had that one aha moment when we sent crypto to someone for the first time and you got nervous, did it get lost? Did, it, did you send it the wrong address? And so with games like ours, there's going to be millions of people that feel that way. And so by providing this safe space, per se, where, okay, you're just familiar with signing up with an email and password, it, it's just bringing them to our game. You'd be surprised what people will do for stuff they like. I mean, think about relationships in life, the things that people do for each other these games they take on a larger than life moment and so if a gamer really enjoys it i don't see any issue with them connecting a wallet after the fact and allowing them to to cash out their earnings that they've earned i love that yeah i think what a lot of people have been finding lately is the the less friction or as little friction as you can create in the onboarding experience from somebody saying i want to play however however few clicks or however you can do it to where the least number of clicks they need to 
click before they can actually start playing and having fun is going to dramatically increase your attention rate. Because if they have to Absolutely. jump through all those hoops, then you're screwed as a game and you're going to lose them. And you may have somebody that really likes the game, but then they're just never going to stick around. So then I am kind of curious, then how do you, it seems like in the, in the middle or the back end, you are introducing some sort of Web3 component. How are you doing that? And what's the role of Web3 in the game itself? I'll show you. Can I share my screen? Absolutely. Nice. I didn't know I had that functionality. Uh, definitely going to, oh, I can see myself on here. That's funny. I'm going to pull up a couple of tweets. We're right shared. See if this can see. Can you see this? I sure no? can. Okay. I, I just want to show you. The we also can see. We also can see on the right-hand side the messages tab. You might want to just drop that down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. And I'll get rid of the internal revenue service I was looking up earlier as well. Um, <laughs> I thought I had this pinned tweet. I did not. I'll find it later. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to show you exactly what I'm talking about. So if you go to wagyu.io right now, that is the website where you're going to be able to track your earnings. We have this dashboard here. So if you go into the dashboard, you click a Wagyu wallet, right? So you can connect a wallet here you will be able to identify, okay, how much earnings do you have? But if you, um, like this is just Grant's mom, right? This is just an example account that I use. Uh, you can connect a wallet, but you don't have to do that. Um, you can, you, you will be able to have a, what's called a Wagyu wallet. So if you actually um, mm -hmm. play our game without one, it will show you how much you earn by from playing our game. And at this point, it's just those free player tournaments without having to connect that wallet. Then if you want to connect the wallet, you will be able to swap those earnings for your crypto of your choice. So I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say I earn $10 from one of our free to play tournaments. Uh, you're going to have a hundred gold Z bucks in your wallet. Uh, from there, you will be able to swap to uh, Ethereum, BUSD, Matic. Uh, we're going to be onboarding more tokens as well. Eventually IMX, Undead token. Uh, but by having that ability to swap for whatever token you want and taking the secondary currency off chain, we can control the rewards. So this last tournament we did was $15,000 sponsored by CM Top Dog. He gave us $15,000 fiat. We convert that to a secondary currency called Gold Z-Bucks, and then you could swap for the crypto of your choice. So that's how we in basically incorporate the Web3 aspect as well as the NFTs, obviously. But we're really more like Web 2.5. I think we have to ease people in. It's hard enough to sell a game. How do I sell a blockchain to someone? That's why so many people ask me, why do you go on Solana? Why do you go on Wax? It's, you, know, you have to put your flag in the sand somewhere and say, we have to make assumptions on what people are going to use and then make it as easy for them to onboard to that chain as possible, eventually moving towards more of a chain agnostic approach. I love that. Now let's talk about, let's actually talk about the NFTs too. We kind of breezed over them a little bit, but I really want to give people a, a an in-depth understanding of, of all parts of the ecosystem. Uh, maybe you could break that down for us and the role they play. Sure. So there are going to be three types of NFTs so far. We're going to obviously add more as we continue to grow and expand, make more games. You're going to have weapon NFTs, skin NFTs, and then character NFTs. So weapon NFTs are what's currently trading at OpenSea. Uh, those weapon NFTs act as VIP passes to daily earnings. So what do I mean by this? There's going to be 6,000 ever minted for undead blocks, uh, and you will have access to an NFT holder only mode where you're going to be able to earn. It's going to be random. And how we're going to be able to feel those payouts is through really driving the skins economy. That's why I need to get to a million players as fast as we can. If we get to a million players and we run a loot box, loot coffin economy, where uh, you know, people are making these microtransactions, we can really ramp up the revenue and then our weapon NFT holders really act as sort of a shareholder in the company as we continue to drive revenue. They will receive a split of that as well. And we plan on making that public in terms of how much we're going to be allocating a quarter as we continue to grow. Obviously, right now, you know, we had 5,000 players this weekend. I need to 20x that very quickly. And so by doing these free-to-play in our tournaments, we're bringing in new players every single day that say, oh, this is fun. But keep in mind, we haven't done multiplayer yet. We don't have the wave-based survival. It's really what everybody wants. Uh, but that is really the purpose of the weapon NFT is you are a shareholder in Wagyu. Um, and you also have the undead token as well. So the undead token, eventually, as we get to new growing more players, it will become a deflationary token. If you want to buy a skin NFT, you'll get a big discount for using undead, but those tokens will be burned. So uh, then we have character NFTs, which are going to be very rare in our game. Why? Because we have to hire voice actors. This is just a different sort of game than something like, I don't know, Super Mario Smash Brothers, where you know, our, our players talk to you. They have the crypto voice lines. So 
when we introduce new characters, they're going to be very rare to play and they're going to have their own set of voice lines. Eventually, we'd like to get to the point where we can sell voice line NFTs and make those very expensive. Or if you've ever wanted to be in the game or in a video game, you can acquire an NFT, send us a voice line recording and like two minutes worth. And then you can use those voice lines in the game while you're playing so you can hear yourself talk, which I think is really cool. I don't think that's something that's ever been done before. It's something that I'm particularly interested in, but more to come on that. But really right now it's going to be weapon NFTs, skin NFTs, and then those character NFTs are going to be very rare. Yeah, I think what y'all are doing that's really smart there is giving the players who are investing into the assets the ability to participate and win with you. I think that's something that a lot, a lot, a lot of projects are realizing is going to be more powerful, but haven't necessarily implemented it. So it's interesting to see that y'all are already kind of ahead of the game there. Now, let's talk about the existing player base. Clearly, free-to-play tournaments, with especially with cash prizes, that's exciting and it's going to get a lot of people pumped. How did you get that initial group of players to come in and how are you planning to 20x that moving forward and hit that million mark? Well, it's a great point. It's a great question. It starts with really Omar from Pokestarter. He was the one that he knew if we he ran the first tournament, look, he's probably going to get 1,500 people. He did it anyway. Uh, he really did it for the love of the game. But when we ran an NFT holder only tournament, we only had 600 people play. And then we all got in the conference room and we said, this this can't be. Like We can't run a game for 600 people. We'll get laughed out the door. And so... We've had to make that adjustment to allowing these people to play for free. And what we learned and what we realized is even at 5,000, the value of people, if you know that they're either into crypto or NFTs, it's very unique and very valuable because it's an arms race to acquire users across the board. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be an L2 technology. It could be a social platform like Bloomin, which is sponsoring a tournament this weekend, and they want to grow their users or elixir like a steam of blockchain gaming they want people to play other games if you know that they're not bots and we have the best anti-cheat anti-bot software in the industry if you know that they're not bots that's a very unique portfolio of people that you can market your product to so that's what we've been doing for these free-to-play and earn tournaments haven't spent a dime out of our treasury we're just kind of leveraging the value of that player base for these people are into crypto and nfts but you're right it can't stop at five thousand, and so by implementing it, this is a good time to show you this. I finally found the tweet I was referencing, been doing too much tweeting. So this mechanism, this blood box is going to make every single match of undead blocks random. You know, in other games like Axie, even Poke, even Alluvium, like you know what you're going to be getting. You know the battle, the auto battlers. There's always going to be the crowd for that. But having an FPS game where this blood box really will determine a win or a loss is going to bring in a lot of people because they're going to feel like it's, you know, it's random, but it's, it's more fair for those that don't have that high end skill level. And I think that's our selling point is come play on dead blocks, not because we have NFTs or a token come play on dead blocks because it's Mario Kart clashed up with call of duty zombies, two of your favorite titles ever. And this is something that's unique. This is what's going to give us a chance to be the first to get to that million player mark. I just think that so many of these games are going to struggle against their Web2 competition because not every gamer wants to monetize. You know, this is a $76 billion industry, and these people don't even know that they don't own their assets. Frankly, they don't care. So how do you provide an experience that's unique? You create a different game, and that's really what we're trying to do with Undead and our future games. I love that. Yeah, I think I think the... The interesting part and the part that that really is going to set y'all apart there for sure is the focus on making it fun and actually innovating in the game space. Because if you think about it, what y'all are doing is it feels like y'all are a couple of mad scientists back there, like putting together a bunch of really cool different elements and creating something new. And that that to me is very exciting. And and um, that's probably why people continue to play is because it is new and it's exciting and they haven't felt anything quite like this before. I, that's exactly right. I mean, I'll be completely honest with you. Look at some of the games that have been the most successful games in the world. And there's obviously thousands, but I look at something like NFL Blitz, which was one of my favorite games as a kid. It's like that game doesn't have the high-end graphics that Madden does, but people still play it as a cult following because it was like larger than life. It combined wrestling with football. 
and people loved it. You know, something like Mario Party, it's on Mario Party now, what, 20? Like they're just providing new fun mini games. Yeah, but it's really, people get excited to hit the dice block and see what happens to them. It's like gambling, but you can't lose. And so that kind of vibe, that arcade vibe, especially when you layer in the fact that we are in crypto, like knowing our audience, <laughs> I think it's going to be really addicting in a good way for a lot of people because every game will be different and you will be able to grind for free and earn assets that will have tangible value. And if you want to purchase additional loot coffins or loot boxes when we have limited edition skin drops, we know that market's gonna work. Look at CSGO, it's a robust skins economy. They just don't allow you to sell your shit. Or if you wanna to try to sell something on a Steam marketplace, it's like going through the Gestapo. So this is where we think we can win. Our game is close enough to AAA Web3 quality in terms of the actual gameplay, the mechanics, received a lot of feedback that the actual fluidity of the engine feels a lot like apex which is very good but that's not enough we need to create our own zombies they need to have their own powers boss zombies we need to have this blood box these z boxes where you can earn imagine you're playing a video game right and it's you know you're an hour three you hit the blood box and all of a sudden you earn two dollars like <laughs> it's pretty cool like it's just not being done in any other game eventually these sponsored tournaments are going to migrate into sponsored weekends or let's say, I don't know, pick a Web3 company, Ultra, says, um, I'm going to give you $10,000, stuff these blood boxes with money, and let's see how often people play. Um, just stuff like that, I think, is, is unique, where people don't feel like they're just clicking the mouse to earn, because at that point, the game is dead. It's no longer a game, it's a job. We, we, we can't have this game become a job for people, because uh, it's been proven time and time again that, frankly, just doesn't work. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So I want to scope out for a second because where you are right now is very exciting. I, I want to understand more about the vision. You talked about getting to a million users, but I really want to understand like where do you want to take this and is the big focus on the on, on undead blocks as a game or is it more on wagyu as the game studio or like where do you really see all of this going for you guys and, and what does that look like well the reason why we're rebranding the token from undead to wagyu token is we want to be a gala games competitor except we just want to do only shooters for now that's what our developers are good at that's what they're very versed in doing and by going the studio token approach what that does is it basically gives that longevity factor. So thousands of these tokens, these game tokens are gonna show up and they're gonna disappear. Why? Because no one's playing the game anymore. But if you go the studio approach, you know, once we're ready to set on that blocks four or five years from now, we will have, you know, three or four titles that we can lean into where everyone's using the Wagyu token. And so that's where I think Gal got it right uh, in terms of their structuring where, you know, they are full blockchain. It's something we're looking into as well as launching our own blockchain. We could do it, but you know, we have a, we have a lot of developers and they're overstaffed. So, um, in terms of how you get to that million players, it, it really starts with attacking a wounded horse, which is the call of duty zombies franchise going into these discords, bringing in players and saying, okay, you know, you've played call of duty zombies your whole life. They've basically given up on you. They've moved to Warzone because they can make more money on Warzone. But you know, Call of Duty Zombies had 30 million players at peak. So that's a lot of people that are potentially interested in the genre, not even laying on the Mario Kart as well. And we've had mixed success. I'd say about 40% of our NFT holders have never owned an NFT before. So what that says to me is they're brand new. They either played Call of Duty or Call of Duty Zombies. But there are times we post a TikTok and we get railed. They say, oh, this is a shit call of, Duty, call of Duty Zombies. We go into a COD Zombies Discord, get immediately banned. So it's going to take some time. When the new zombies that we have are, are coming in, when we have the blood boxes, we can say, this is just a whole new game. This is a whole new ball game here. And that's really how we're going to get to a million players. And it's also the content creators. We have a very good relationship. I was speaking to um, Jeff Pabst, who's the former chief revenue officer at FaZe Clan this weekend. Uh, and, you know, one thing he told me was, these guys, they're, they're open to it. They're open to it, but it has to be a fun game. They're, they know what's fun. Their community knows what's fun. The minute they go out there and stream something that's below average, their community is going to rail them and say, get this shit off the screen. I'm going back to Fortnite. So that's why we don't sleep until this game is as fun as it possibly can be uh, without getting into feature creep, obviously. 
And I think that's also why some of these other games are hesitant to launch because I don't think they think their games are good enough to compete without the earning. The game has to be fun without the earning or else people are just there for the money. So really how you get to the million players is you attack the wounded horse. You basically brand yourself as a new way to play a game that feels a lot like Call of Duty Zombies. Something where you're able to own your assets, have fun, make it random, make it like a party. Uh, bring in those content creators. And, uh, and keep in mind, Ben, you know, we only raised a million and a half dollars for this show. You know, some of the other people that in this industry that are building FPS raised 10, 15, 20 million. And we're much farther ahead than they are. And, you know, we only raised a million and a half. So, you know, if, if we do raise more money in the future, we're something we're open to, you know, all of that, instead of building the game engine, can go to more mass marketing events. But keep in mind, Ben, if we try to do a Google ad or a Facebook ad that says giving away fifteen thousand dollars this weekend, just download our game, people are what are they going to say? They're going to say this is a scam. Like we have to go that friends approach where it really right. is just word of mouth, boots on the ground marketing. That's why I'm going to TwitchCon because I'm going to try to make connections with these streamers and say, hey, play this game. Look at all these features that are coming. This is going to be a blast. Uh, give it a try. Having that in-person connection, I think, is really going to help us as well. I love that you're pounding the pavement too, hitting the ground, hit, hit, getting in the trenches and going and building relationships as well. I think a lot of um, a lot of leaders can learn from that and should definitely be more active. Uh, I love that. So let's talk a little bit about, because um, I think one thing you touched on too, you, you've kind of been hitting it a little bit um, in a couple of different answers, but the idea that you don't have to be a top 0.01% esports athlete in order to earn and to, to see some sort of benefit from playing outside of the fun being the main benefit, but, but additional benefits there. I'm, I'm actually pretty obsessed with this idea. I think esports are going to turn more into like community grinding and more just existing together in a game and over an extended period of time building building together as opposed to i'm just the greatest sniper headshotter on the face of the planet and i have ungodly hands but i'm curious what your thoughts are on that and where do you really see the whole esports web3 scene intersecting and what's what's that going to turn into i think that there's room for people to have a skill advantage the way i look at it is i take a lot of what i do and what we do with wagyu in terms of the DraftKings and the FanDuel approach, where you can have an edge, but you're not always going to win. And that's what's bringing millions of people back to FanDuel and DraftKings this weekend after playing last weekend, uh, is not because they're the best, but because it's random and they have an opportunity to win. And those people that are pros, yeah, they have an edge, they have statistics degrees, and they can try to do more correlation, do whatever. They don't always win. So that's huge is you're not cutting anybody. Well, it's like poker, right? Like why is poker popular? If poker, you know, if you were a top player and only the top players made money, none of the average people would play, but you could hit a random card that just ruins everything. You might be down bad, you know, going into the turn and all of a sudden you come out of hero. So I think that's, I think you're exactly right. Like we can't just have this be skill-based where if you are literally a God at FPS, like I'll give you an example. When we run these tournaments, the only way we have to compete right now is get as many kills as you can in 10 minutes, which is, you know, it's better than having no competition. But the same characters are coming in and they're doing well. One X Valorant coach is, is doing particularly well. And like, why would I build a game just so these same five people can win all the time? What the hell is that? Like, it, no way. So we have to structure this so that, yeah, the people that are really good, they can have an edge, but they don't always win because we have different ways to level the playing field. So everyone feels like an equal chance. Like it, what we're doing is so unique, giving away 10, $15,000 a weekend fully sponsored. You see a lot of people in our discord saying cheater, 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 cheater. And like, that's not what we want, but in this structure, it's impossible to cheat the algorithm. Like I know not everyone wants to just leave their fate up to a random number generator, but it's much better than someone having an aimbot that we can't detect or having god skill and just taking all the money because at that point you're going to turn off so many people they're going to just want to do something else yeah that makes a lot of sense did you guys ever think about almost opening up two separate pieces where 
you let all the aimbotters and the absolute ridiculously skilled people have their own space where they can just go nuts on each other and then keep the main core loop. Was that ever a discussion? It, it, it is in discussion because we do want to have skill-based tournaments. Eventually, we want this game to grow so big that we want you know the top streamers to give it a try and give it a ride. And what I'm doing is trying to craft like a Raiders community and I think there's like 250 of them that have signed up and I ping them and I say, hey, go check out this person's tweet. Eventually, when that gets to 2,500 or 5,000 people, we can hit a streamer and encourage them to play the game. All I'm just waiting for is like an old streamer to say, man, I, I, I wish that I miss the days of COD Zombies. Boom. Send it. We got 25 people say, hey, download this game. Check it out. Give them some high gameplay footage. It's fun. It's unique. And then all of a sudden they play for free. So that's really the kind of culture I'm trying to craft and curate. I think if you can have a thousand people in the world make noise for you, that it really can take you a long way. And you know, I don't want people to just to you know shout just to shout, but we have a fun game, and this is how you can community build, right? You have these people that become like raider legends or the ones that win the tournaments, they're like goaded and all this kind of stuff where people are hanging out in their Discord. It feels like a bar. Like a lot of Discords are dead after Crypto Winter or whatever you want to call it. But our Discord kind of feels like a bar. You have your regulars, you have new people coming in saying hi to old people. And that's the kind of vibe that I really like because I feel very comfortable. I talk on a Discord every day. I speak to other founders. They didn't even touch Discord. Like, what the hell are you doing? It's such a missed opportunity to connect with your audience because when you need them, when I say, guys, like, I need you to fucking hit this tweet, they listen to me and they say, okay, I'm going to hit this tweet. That's, you know, and I'm willing to do, you know, podcasts like with yourself. I, I see a lot of people that shy away from that. I, I don't understand it because you should be able to talk to us. That's how we can win. You can't go to the CEO of Activision and say, you know, I think you really should address the aimbotting and you should make this gun less powerful and this and that. You can't go to these people. They, it's physically impossible to connect with them. But you can talk to myself. You can talk to other founders of Web3 games and we take their feedback. The blood box idea, yeah, it was ours, but also community members kind of brought it up and said, like, I wish there was a way to make more something more random. Okay, so we went out and did it. Like, that is really cool, and I think that's going to speak volumes as we continue to grow. Yeah, the players definitely love that. As an avid player since six years old, there's nothing more frustrating than having something you want to have changed never get changed, and it's just forever a pain in the ass there. So that, that's a huge advantage for sure. Okay, I want to touch on a couple of, um, talk more about the business side of it for a second, and then I want to scope out and talk about the market in general. Um, you say you raised uh, you know, a million, million and a half. Um, how did you think about who you wanted to bring on as strategic capital and what was that process like for you? Because I know a lot, of, a lot of projects are trying to raise right now. Uh, it's probably a little bit tougher than when you could just stick metaverse on a you know sack of shit and you could raise 10 million so you know talk us through that process oh my it's still happening too by the way i don't think the mark i've had some discussions with some vcs the last three four weeks try to you know maintain close contact with these people and the market isn't as dry as you guys think it is like there's still lots of money flowing like doodles today raised 55 million off a 704 million dollar valuation I mean, it's because the Reddit, you know, board member has doodles and like he has connections with all these people, but it's still happening. Like, um, you know, I forget Gabriel, I think his name is $200 million and then goes on and brags about how he's going to spend all his money on marketing. Like, okay, bro. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely tougher. I think, uh, for us, it was, how do we find partners that aren't so worried about the cash flow? Right. To talk to Animoca. Animoca is our largest lead. We have an actual relationship with these people. You know, we talk to James and Jenny all the time from Animoca. And it's not just them hitting us up every day. Can we get another tranche, 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 tranche? Like, no, fuck that. We're not selling. They're not selling. Nobody's fucking selling. Like, we all have a cliff. Like, it's how do you identify, you weed these people out? Like, Galen Lacoon from Double Peak. You talk to this guy, and all he wants to do is, you know, see the advancement of Web3. Of course, these people want to make money. That's what they do for a living. But the, the, it's, it's about the questions they ask. It's They ask you about your background. How did you get here? Like, what are you seeing? Like, asking for our feedback on what they can do better instead of just, can you tell me about your tokenomics? Because I'll be completely honest. If it, Once I heard that, I basically just said, okay. Like, we turned away checks. We turned away, I'd say, $3, 4000000 million because we didn't want their money. 
because we know what's going to come up every single day, every single month. It's like I'm trying to build a video game here. I can't have you hitting me up every single day asking for token. So that really was the key is it's a relationships world, Ben. Like it's, it's a dying industry. I know where you actually have to have relationships and treat people with respect and, and just get to know them. But I'm a blue collar guy. I grew up in a Buffalo, New York, where it's, you know, very cold and, uh, you know, everyone really kind of looks out for each other. And I, and I just took that same approach with the raise. We, I mean, I knew we had a good product. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. We raised 4% on our tokenomics for the seed round, or basically whatever you want to call it, our first raise. Like there's a game out there, I'm sure you heard of Shrapnel. They raised 27%. You know, we are so efficient in terms of where we're going to be able to pivot, whether it's giving token to influencers, giving token to additional VCs to raise again. We have a lot of room to wiggle. Uh, but really, Animoca was our largest target because they're in every project that's doing well. They're in the Board Ape Gut Club. Obviously, they have the other side, Yuga Labs. They're in Dapper Labs. So that was our big target. You know, we went out there. We nailed it. And, um, yeah, just the rest. Once once Animoca was in, it was like, okay, how, how much do you want in? How much ticket? Like this, I'm sure if you got a raise from some of these other big VCs, you, I'm sure you know the names. The rest of the round just falls in place. It's like who's who. You know, you want to be involved with them. So it was a unique experience, and I'm sure we'll have to do it again soon. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we always pick our, our partners very wisely. It's very easy to weed them out just off the questions they ask you. That makes a lot of sense, and that's a, a monster win uh, for you guys to, to bring Animoco on. So congrats on that. Um, and, and not to diminish, you know, how awesome you guys are, and they're lucky to have gotten in with you guys. So, you know, it goes both ways. Um, it, it, definitely, so it definitely does go both ways because now – We've seen them tweet about us, so we don't even ask. Like, now it's great because I say, hey, we're doing a tournament this weekend. Can you guys hit us up? Can you, can you let your community know? Sure, no problem. And I'm sure, you know, they're going to probably sponsor a tournament at some point. So, you know, stuff like Double Peak was in our uh, investment round, our seed round. They sponsored our first tournament for NFT holders, $20,000. They said, we love what you're doing. Keep building. Let's go. So it really is just a relationships world. That's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about revenues. And this is one of my favorite things to dig into because so many uh, projects don't actually have any sort of answer. And I, I, I'm always fascinated by those who do have a really good answer. And yeah, so I'm just super curious, like what's the, what are the revenue drivers for you guys? Um, and how are you thinking about that um, as, a, as the project leader? I look at this and say, this is the most important part of my job. I don't look at token price. I don't look at NFT floor. I don't look at any of that stuff. I mean, if there's a big swing, sure. Yeah. Somebody will tell me about it and I take a look, but it's how do you drive that fucking revenue? And what we've decided is we're taking a freemium approach where we're not going to be a loopy and we're not going to sell $5,000 parcels of land. We're going to let people play this game for free, let them earn for free. And if they want to magnify that, they're going to be able to purchase stuff in our game with these loot coffins, with these loot boxes. What we have working in our favor is this model works for Fortnite, Call of Duty, Halo. I'm forgetting a big one, CSGO. So we know it works. If the game is fun, people will want to collect skins. They'll want to put that branding on their weapon. That's why we're going to make a weapon animation skin where you can like look at it. Some of our weapons are going to be able to change colors. Uh, different skins are going to have different muzzle fire rate. I always fuck that word up. Uh, but yeah, we have to drive revenue. And that's why we're going through IMX because we can mint these skin NFTs for free on their platform. And we're also in late stage discussions with a couple different providers of fiat on ramps where if someone wants to buy something, whether they connect Plaid or they just use a credit card or they want to buy in a media and they want to buy in undead or they want to buy in whatever token they should be able to do so no barrier to entry anywhere and that's really going to be the key is the microtransaction model i have to get to 100,000 250,000 million players if i get to a million players we can make a safe assumption that 50,000 people will most likely be interested in buying something at any given time you know most of these games the five percent they drive the revenue for the 95 percent that play for free but what really works in our favor is most of our audience is into crypto and what do people like in crypto, Ben, they love to gamble. Like they <laughs> love, to, they do. Like if, if some of these skins hold tangible value, especially for partners, 
like we're gonna only mint a couple gold IMX skins. Now let's say you're Robbie Ferguson, right? You're talking about all these games. You better believe that fucker is gonna want to have the gold IMX skin when he wants when he's showing undead locks off. Likewise, if we you know blue mint, we're gonna make a sapphire skin for them, and their executives, I'm sure, would want that. Or let's say you're just a collector that has a lot of IMX token, or with Polka Starter, you have a lot of POLS. If you want the gold Polka Starter skin, now people are gonna want to go for these these sort of items. But making it random, making it the loot coffin approach, I think the loot boxes got into trouble with Fortnite because you couldn't sell the contents. You basically were preying on people gambling without being able to sell stuff. Here, this is crypto. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not. So we have to make the assets in these boxes fun and unique. That's why if somebody pulls a voice line NFT and we give them two minutes to, to send us a recording, and we'll put that in the game and then they can play as themselves. How much do you think that would sell for? Like if you're someone who's into video games and you've always wanted to be a character in the game, is that not the ultimate win for you? Some of Huge these influencers, win. some of these influencers, like we offered Kagi, the influencer, to make him a character in our game. He turned it down. He said, I want 5,200 USDC for a tweet and a video. I said, bro, I will make you a character and you can have your own voice lines in the game free of charge. He said, 5,200 USDC? Here's my wallet address. So him, no, but a lot of these other people, yes, because they're into gaming and they're, especially with Call of Duty Zombies, right? It's not, those games were fun. Sure, you're killing the zombies, but the voice lines kept you coming back. Like everyone loved playing as Nikolai or, um, you know, the, the Asian guy, I always forget his name. He's a pretty popular one too. But having that white glove service where we basically roll out the carpet for our community and say, you design the game, you give us feedback on the game. Oh, and now you can be in the game and you can hear yourself. That's just something that's not being offered anywhere else. And I think that's really going to give us a unique opportunity to really drive revenue. Yeah, I think I think also there are interesting things that, and maybe this is something that, that you guys do, um, but I also think games are going to start to, to figure this out, is tracking the history of different skins um, and different NFTs and make bringing the story and the lore of the nft to life and and giving that intrinsic value like if you have the best player you know the best valorant player of all time comes in gets this gets a, a you know weapon nft and goes absolutely ape shit and mows down eight hundred thousand zombies well that's cool because it was not only that person but what that person did in this game and so those different things you know the, those different things that have have multiplier effects and you know maybe there's a multiplayer thing later down the road and maybe there's like teams where two teams are fighting against each other to see who can survive longer you know something cool like that but if there's a championship and you know team a uh the best person on team a hits the winning four zombie kills with this particular nft like that's cool that should be commemorated that's i think so that's going to be like a whole new level of, of nested history that's going to just drive yeah. ridiculous revenue it really is and Believe me, those 2v2, what you were just describing, 2v2, 1v1, 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 that's coming. You know, for the full game, those those game modes will be in where you're going to have the play with your duo. And you're going to have to survive as long as you can. If you get down, you're out. It's like dodgeball. Like, you're done. So that's going to be really cool is that really hasn't been done in many zombie shooters. Uh, but you're absolutely right. When we throw these big tournaments, eventually it won't be we're going to give you money. It will be we're going to give you this cool asset uh you're going to be able to customize it like let's say you win a tournament and you can design the skin of any weapon you want or the weapon or the weapon that you used to get the final kill just stuff like that people will literally go bonkers for this stuff because then they can tell their friends holy shit like i won this tournament and i got to design the skin and i'm the only one in the world that has it like we can do this stuff very quickly so we're definitely thinking on the same wavelength it's how do you foster a community that just is obsessed with all of your content. At some point, we want to be a brand, make Wagyu sort of brand more so than, yeah, we just build video games. I also think what's really going to help us onboard is mobile. I don't know of any other Web3 mobile FPS shooters. Uh, sure, Ben, you might know a couple. I, I don't know of any. We want to be the first or one of the first. You look at something like Dead Trigger, which was another zombie FPS game that had over 50 million downloads on the Apple Store alone. So if we can make the game feel like that, and now people are able to own their assets without even knowing it, 
using one of these on ramps where they can buy in fiat, get the weapon, and then go on a different website and find out, you know, do they have an NFT? That's another way to bring in players as well, because we're moving to a mobile world. We absolutely are. Yeah, we absolutely are. I mean, we can already see in the statistics over half of all gaming revenues are driven by mobile, and that's as of the streaming of this, and we're September of 2022. Yeah, it's it's a mobile world. It's only going to go more, more so towards that. So, Grant, I want to kind of scope out for a bit. Let's talk about, um, and I, I don't care about prices, but the market in general as far as um, just the sentiment about the metaverse, sentiment about crypto games, uh, blockchain games. Um, where are we really from the perspective of how early and where do you think this goes chronologically? Um, what does that look like? If you went to a supermarket and you pulled a hundred people, you said, you know what the metaverse is? You might get a good answer from seven. If you said, you know what an NFT is, you probably get a good answer from like four. If you knew what web free gaming was, you probably get an answer from maybe one. And that person needs to step outside and touch the grass. Like that's how early we are now, whether they're going to at the supermarket say, Hey, I'll give you all the details of why, why I use doing some cool shit. Does that convert them? I don't know. You know, we're still kind of developing these metrics, but in terms of where we are, we're in bot hell one on Twitter and two in a lot of these games. You know, I saw some statistics that said gods unchanged is 85% bots. You know, EV.io was telling a couple of VCs that they have a million daily active players. I laughed. I, I literally laughed out the out the bank. Like 10,000 on Twitter, 8,000 on Discord. And they say they have a million players. If you have a million players, you're you're, you're twice the size of Axie. Like, Axie peaked at, what, 450,000 daily active players? So we're not there yet. And I think once we can, you know, sort through all the LARP and the dust, um, what you're going to see is people are going to want to play gameplay loops that are unique and they're different. I saw a game called Superior from Gala that looks really good. They're basically taking an off like a Fortnite approach, but now everyone's like a bad guy instead of being a nice guy. Like that's kind of, I, I thought that was unique. And I think it's really resonating with people that are playing that game. Look at something like Immortable from Immutable X that chess game now they have these live auctions and they're selling instantly these these chess pieces that are like nfts so there is demand for this i would say most industry experts are tell you that there's about four hundred thousand people that own an nft i'd say it's even smaller i'd say about a hundred thousand people actually own an nft and we need to grow we can't just continue marketing our product to the same people Everyone that's in undead blocks, well, we have 40% of people that are new, but the 60% that aren't, they're probably in projects such as Blanco's Alluvium big time, so Alluvium twice, because you know they're large star atlas. Um, they're in these other games, right? And so how do we break out of that circle? It's gonna take some bold stuff. That's why we're taking the bold approach of mosh pitting these two games that were legendary together, taking the best from both of them, and hoping that that's enough. And I think it will be enough to coax the average gamer to give it a try, as long as it's fun, as long as it's unique and it's fresh. But we are very early. And really, what's going to help us, Ben, is no more rug pulls. People, please stop buying stuff that's clearly not going to work out. These meme NFTs, all this stuff that just gets rugged, it just sucks liquidity out. If you're a new holder, and this is your first foray into NFTs. This I see this a lot in our Discord. God, these people have 100 questions. When's the game going live? When can I start earning? Uh, how much can I earn? Do you have a table of how much you can earn? And it's just like, take a step back and relax. But the minute that that person invests in a rug, they're out. They sell everything and they say, I'm going back to Web2 World. I'm just going to go play my Call of Duty. I'm just going to go buy uh, a mutual fund and be on my way. So. We have to stop supporting meme and like not meme NFTs, but like clear rugs. Obviously, that's the way to clean it up. It's we've seen a lot of progress in this, um, but also just support good projects. That's why with like you said, it's a relationships world. I have a very good relationship with AMGI Studios and My Pet Hooligan. They put an undead blocks Hooli in their game. We have a very good relation with Mythical Games and Blancos and you know the Alluvium guys and Big Time. You know, we're, we're not really competing against each other. We're all trying, like if one game explodes, Ben, if Blankos gets to that million players, and I hope they do, that is so good for us. 
because those people will then say, wow, this was cool. This was a fun experience. What else is out there? It's like if you invest in a stock and it goes two or three X, you're like, damn, that was fun. And then you look for more. It's like everyone had their first crypto and then they looked for more. So we need to support each other, these early Web3 games and build something that is fun and fresh to coax new people instead of just marketing to the same old, I, I believe, 100,000 people that actually own an NFT. Yeah, I think, I think what you're saying is actually should be very comforting to a lot of people because I know personally, I'm so deep in the space. I mean, I spend all day every day trying to figure out how to build more and getting you know, deeper in and, and I'm all in and I feel FOMO every single day. Like I don't have enough exposure to crypto and especially to crypto gaming in the metaverse and every fiber of my being is like, I, you know, I gotta go harder. I gotta go harder. I gotta go deeper in. I'm missing the trend. I'm so far behind. But if we, you know, from what you're saying, it seems like, okay, we haven't, we have not missed the boat yet. And if we're here now, then we still are, relatively early and we're not as early as you know 2015 2017 but we are still early and there's there's still time for us um for those people who are feeling extreme fomo um what is your suggestion as far as how do you make the most of this opportunity there is a time limit we we don't know exactly when that time limit comes up but it it, it is approaching and the time is ticking what do they do how do they how do they make sure to not experience that fomo and really give it their all here it's hard if i had a clear formula i'd give it to you you know but i spend all day looking at on that right working on why where you know i could be someone like alex becker who said neo tokyo was going to be a game and i was pivoting and, and still talking about the market and still trying to make money on different plays like, you know, I, don't, I don't take that approach um Really, my big piece of advice was just diversify. Take $20 a paycheck, save up for an NFT you want, buy it, hold it. Don't actively obsess over the floor. If you do your own research, and I know this is such a cliche, you eventually will sort through a lot of the, the LARP that is currently in this space. Look for things like actual gameplay before release. Look for things like who is, are the, are the people doxxed? Are they talking to their community? Are they active? If they're active and talking, it means they have something to flaunt. You know, Undead Blocks is an industry leader, and that's why I get on these pods with, you know, people like yourself is, I want to talk about what we're doing. Don't hide away from any question. It's huge. And just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Even unless if you have a bunch of Undead Blocks NFTs, then you're fine. <laughs> but, um, or, or yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that's really the key is take a breath, realize, like, I mean, I'll give you a couple examples. Look at Polygon. They have, they bring on Starbucks, the world's largest coffee shop. Then you read the comments and people say, stick to coffee nerds. Like it gets like 400 likes. Like so many people are anti NFT. I think a lot of people are anti NFT because they do have that FOMO. They didn't get an eighth at one ETH. Then it became a hundred. And all of a sudden they got jealous and they find, they try to find reasons to fuck with you and say, this isn't worth what it is. Why the hell is art worth anything? You know, why, why is, you know, the entire state of Luxembourg or country, you know, dominated with art that people just buy as an investment. They don't even want to display it in their house. So these new stores of value are coming up and really you have to just stay the course. I mean, we've done a very good job of holding the line, showing people that gameplay though. Like there's a shrapnel is a good example. Shrapnel looks really cool. I got to see their trailer. No one's, no one else has seen it but myself, um, and obviously a couple others. But in, when I was in LA, I got to see the Shrapnel trailer. It looks absolutely insane. But a lot of their community's like, "Where's the stuff?" And so I, I see, I know it's coming. Like I talked to Calvin, I talked to these guys, and just stay the course. Like if you invest in people that you believe in, it's going to help. So many people invested in Tesla not because of their ROI, because of you know, their thoughts on electric vehicles, they, they liked Elon Musk and his vision and what he stood for. And I know that's not financial advice. Please don't take any of this as financial advice. Diversify, take $20 a week from your paycheck, put it into a fund, save up for an NFT you want, then get another one, then get another one. And then if you want to exit, exit. It's not that serious. I, I really think so many things exploded so quickly. And I know I kind of want to tangent here, Ben, but 
think about remember the whitelist days the whitelist branding where you always had to be whatever messages and tweets and stuff just to get an asset for one ETH to, to flip for three like all those people that were buying for three who were they were they the projects themselves that were just trying to increase sales and then sell later or were they actual people like in reality that's not how the world works and so you just have to kind of take put your glasses on identify clear opportunities where there are fun games stuff that you enjoy artwork that you like because if you do lose a little bit of money it's not going to be the worst thing because you're actively involved in the community uh, obviously not financial advice but th that's really that's how i see it so that's interesting um you, you kind of took the investment approach um because i was i was thinking more in terms of like Oh, do you go join a project and try to work in this space or do you try to start a business in the space or do you build a web two business that serves the space or it, or do you go the investment route um so that's uh, and we'll wrap we'll wrap up here because you know we've been going way over time and i do appreciate your time this far um what do you think is the is the best way to approach it obviously you know if we're looking at your actions um building in the space and being an entrepreneur and, and creating um you know, is, is what you're doing. Um, is that, do you recommend that people think about that or, or how do you recommend people think about different ways to approach just being a part of it and not missing out on any level investment building, etc.? This is a really good last question. I mean, you look at someone like myself, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be an industry leader in gaming, but I, I found a niche opportunity, a market that's ripe for turnover. And I'm going to take the bull by the horns. I can always go back to working in the bank. It's, the world, if you have good relations with people, you can always go back to your previous life then. You can always go and say, I was doing X, Y, Z. Unless if you are having so much fun doing your previous life, why not? You just have to come up with some way or idea. Like I knew that these games are going to explode. Like I just saw it. I did a lot of research. But I also had money, my own money, my own capital to invest, as well as the ability to with the drive and the raise. And, and you got to have some connections as well. It's where you build those relationships. Uh, but we have absolutely not missed the boat. We are, I'd say we're still on the shore where the biggest games in the world, Alluvium and Star Atlas, they don't have their beta or nothing. <laughs> I guess whatever you want to call Star Atlas, Star Atlas pre-alpha, I don't know. Um, so we have not missed the boat by any means. And I think, like I was talking to a guy today, he shall not be named. He's working on a payment processor. He worked at the Pentagon. He was doing like security for the Pentagon. Like, how do you get here? He's like, how do you get here? Like, <laughs> meet so many cool people that were doing awesome things in Web2, but like they plateaued. Like, I went as far as I could in finance. I ended up becoming a VP. I was FP&A director. Wasn't going any higher. You know, I was blocked by not having an MBA, not going to an Ivy League school. Here, I run the show and I treat my employees with respect and they will forever, there will be a love relationship between us. So if you if you are out there and you are thinking about taking the plunge, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you go back to your previous life. Obviously, don't go take out a huge loan and go into debt and try to you know make a very high leverage play. But Web two will always accept you back with open arms. You know, I, I'll leave you with this. I've been doing this now for almost two years in Web three, and I've had more fun waking up every single day doing stuff like this, talking to you, talking to our community talking to different industry leaders than working at a mid-level bank for my entire life. <laughs> and, and that is really the key is you want to do something where you, this is the most cliche saying in the history of sayings, but if you truly love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. There's a guy named the professor who's like a web three content creator. If you go look at his profile right now, it's my face with a crown on it because he calls me the king of web three gaming. What the fuck? Like, if I looked at that two years ago and I looked at this picture, like, why is this guy got my face? He's got like 70,000 followers or whatever. Um, why is he got my face on his profile picture? But like, that's the kind of impact you can really have. You can create these connections now. That's why I appreciate people like Spike and people like Bryce and people that are building. And like you, like this podcast eventually will have 100,000, 250,000 listeners because you were one of the first people on Web3 to do this. You obsess over this every single day. You will be the industry leader in this shit. So... It's just really cool to see all of us really just develop in real time. And uh, thank you for having me. It's, it's been an absolute blast. Absolutely. Grant, thank you so much for uh, for the time. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, thank you for everything you're doing and building in the space. And uh, just, yeah, appreciate the hell out of you. Thank you so much. 
and um, can't wait to see you hit those uh, million players. So thank you, everybody who's watching and listening. Thank you all very, very much. I love you all, absolutely every single one of you. And um, if you want something cool, go like and follow Wagyu and Underblocks and Grant and mm -hmm. send me proof that you did it, and then I might send you something cool. Slide right into my DMs. Anyways, um, thanks, everybody. Love you all, and I will see you on the next episode.